0: Hi there! Welcome to the Shirley I'm a Neighbor podcast. My name is Keenan Murray, and I'm joined by Nicole Nelson.
1: Hey, Nicole. Hi, Keenan. I'm excited for today's episode where we have a classmate of ours, uh, John Liu, who's discussing the Uyghur population in China, which has been an issue that's been receiving honestly a lot of media attention lately. And I'm really excited to talk about it more.
0: Yeah, I for one don't know too much about the Uyghur population nor the situation in China, so. I honestly think this is going to be a really um, awesome learning opportunity for me as it is for many listening today.
1: Yeah, and so I'm just going to go ahead and welcome John to the podcast. Um, He's going to have a lot of really great just like basic information on like the situation in China and just like who are the Uyghurs and things like that. So John, if you want to say a few things before we get started.
2: Uh, Sure thing. Hello, I'm John. Um, I'm a fourth-year computer science major, and I decided to focus on the situation for the readers because uh, there's been a lot of information covered up for it, so it's important to bring awareness to the whole situation.
1: Yeah, definitely, and we just wanted to start off this podcast, knowing in our intro podcast, we didn't go into this too much, but I think it's really important. We all think it's really important to kind of give our own like racial background to provide like kind of the context in which like we navigate the world and the lens we see things through. So personally, I am white, but um, I'm also half Latina, and that's been a big, large part of my identity growing up and it's really been interesting to have the opportunity to navigate um, between two different cultures um and yeah, I guess I'll kick it off to Keenan.
0: Yeah, um, I am um full white. Um I come from a middle class background, um in a military town. So I come from a fairly diverse town um that has many different backgrounds, many different cultures because of the military presence. And so um it's very multicultural and um it gave me a different perspective growing up versus um Some others who might have grown up in a less diverse environment. But that still means growing up, why I have a different lens than others who grow up in a minority background. And so, um, really, my motivation for um, being a co host on this podcast is to um, be an educational opportunity for me, but also give light to others who might have the same experience that I do and want to improve their education on some um, racial and uh, religious issues in the world.
1: Yeah, it's great. Better better than what I said. But I also I felt <laughs> everything Keenan says, um, even though I am half Latina, I do, I do not, na- uh, like navigate the world in a white body and therefore mm. have a lot of white privilege from that. And so um like Keenan, I grew up in a middle class neighborhood but um it wasn't super diverse um i would say like the surrounding areas yes like being in the bay area bay area is very diverse but my neighborhood is now becoming more diverse wasn't really much so in the past but um i would say my my friend group was very multicultural just because i find um i was able to connect more with them because of like my mom being an immigrant and their parents being immigrants as well so yeah but um and then john did you want to add anything
2: uh, sure. So my ethnic identity is uh, Chinese-American, and I live in a middle-class family in a neighborhood with um, majority Asian. So um, my high school was somewhat diverse, but we were kind of in a bubble. So we did not experience too much strife in that regard. And I guess when I came to SCU, I experienced a lot more diversity, so my worldview opened up a bit more.
1: Yeah, that's great. Awesome. All right. And I think um, Kenan's going to go ahead and start off with the questions for John about the Uyghur population. So I'll just pass it off to him and we'll get the discussion going.
0: Thanks, Nicole. So the first question I just wanted to ask you, John, is for those who might not know who are listening right now, who are the Uyghur Muslims?
2: All right. So the Uyghur Muslims Modern day are a uh, Turkic minority group living in the Xinjiang province. And they can trace their ancestry back to um, an empire called the Uyghur Khaganate in Mongolia. And uh, they originally built a religion called Manichaeism Buddhism. That's a religion that came from Persia that talks about the struggle between good and evil constantly. From the 14th to 15th century, following the sacking of the uh, Uyghur empire, they moved to the Tarim Basin where uh, another group called the Qara Khanate converted them to Islam and um, later on in 1717, uh, they were enslaved by another group called the Zungars in Tibet. And later on in 1755, the Qing dynasty actually helped the Uyghurs, uh, helped save the Uyghurs from this group. And then the Chinese actually uh, committed genocide against that group. and. This led to a Uyghur majority in the Xinjiang province. And uh, later on, uh, 1884, Xinjiang was given its name. And then uh, the Uyghurs living there were wanted to create an independent state for themselves called the East Turkestan Islamic Republic. But then later on in 1953, after the CCP won the battle against the Chinese nationalists, uh, Han Chinese started migrating in there. And uh, that was at the point where the Chinese chokehold on Xinjiang began.
1: Okay, yeah, great uh, timeline of events. So just to clarify, when you said that the um when does it the Qing dynasty, is that how you pronounce it?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. They actually committed genocide against another ethnic group that was in that area, so then the Uyghur population could live there peacefully essentially.
2: Uh, yes, they the China basically helped the uh Uyghurs get rid of their oppressors. And the Uyghurs also allied with the Tang Dynasty at some point, and they were able to get silk from that. Oh, interesting.
0: interesting! Yeah, so at yeah, one right. point they were a majority group in historical China until um, recently. It sounds like at least the last few dec- or last few centuries.
1: Well, I think it was just in that region. Like that's in the region. Sorry. Area. That's what I mean. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, the region. Yeah, <laughs> no, sorry. No, <laughs> sorry. That's what
0: I mean. Yes, the region. Yeah. Um specifically. That's interesting. Okay.
1: Awesome. And um, I guess my question is, um, I know you mentioned they converted to Islam, but I just wanted to um clarify on like what um not I don't know what branch of Islam.
2: But I believe it's matured yeah. Okay, cool. Um
1: just to clarify that, because I know there's two different branches of Islam, but um, yeah, cool, and I think Keenan, you have the next question
0: Mhm, so I guess for those like us living in a Western society um like the United States, it might be hard to imagine maybe not having the freedoms that we so very regularly take for granted, and so my question was generally day to day um and maybe even before uh, the incarceration of um, the Uyghur population, what was the daily lives of Muslim, the Uyghur, Uyghur Muslims like in China?
2: Um, so, or still is. Yeah. So before they were, uh, they still had their mosques, They they still had their halal restaurants. Women still were able to wear their headscarves. Men wear their caps. They were able to just practice their religion. Now, first off, they have surveillance on surveillance cameras on almost every part of the street, so constantly monitoring every weaker Muslim and identifying each of them with facial recognition software, and every time you have to go into like a mall for example it the security is as tight as airport security and there are police that can spring upon you any time the cameras detect any suspicious activity even something as simple as nervously scurrying past and uh, refusal to comply with the police would lead you to be thrown into these uh, concentration camps. And additionally, they are forced to submit voice signatures, pictures, fingerprints at the police station. And last but not least, uh, they have a list of all the people who have been detained. And then uh, lastly, they, they have the database of like all these faces. So and are AI algorithms to identify people. So it seems
1: like um, the Uyghur population or community lives under like constant surveillance, and it doesn't seem like they can, are able to, you know, live freely or exercise a lot of the, you know, freedoms, um, like religious freedom. And that that sounds very, like, scary and very, it just sounds very much like there's just, it's just so eerie because it sounds like a lot of other um, historical events we've learned about in school when it comes to, like, the persecution of, like, an ethnic or, like, religious minority. So, yeah. So, my next question kind of pertains um, to um just like the genocide itself that's occurring and basically why is china committing a cultural genocide against them what are like the events that led up to this and like maybe um maybe providing it in like a timeline to for um listeners to better understand like how how this genocide came to be um because it seems like it's been ongoing um for a while now
2: sure. So to lead off from around when the CCP won against the Nash Chinese nationalists and Han Chinese started migrating into Xinjiang and uh eventually the Uyghur Muslims became a minority in Xinjiang so uh, that meant they would have more competition for labor, and the Han Chinese would be more favored. And so, this later on in July of 2000, of July of 2009, there were two Uyghur men who were falsely accused of assaulting a Han Chinese female in a factory. And so, the Uyghur Muslims. Uh, rose up to peacefully protest in Urumqi. And this led to some violence or some some unintended actions by the uh, militant groups of the Uyghur population. And this led to casualties on both the Han Chinese and Uyghur Muslim sides. And onwards, um, from even 2014, onward, 2009 through 2014, and onwards, there were coordinated terrorist attacks by the Uyghur separatists. And so, with this continued bad image painted of the Uyghur population, uh, China sought to take action. So. To delve a little more deeper into this separatist movement, they're called the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, and they seek to make uh, Xinjiang independent from China. So this has roots in Islamic extremist ideology where they think violence is the way to purify violence as the solution to uh, their problems. So uh, later on, from May 2014 onward, China initiated their strike-hard campaign. So this was the start of them cracking down on these supposed extremists or terrorists. Um, So. This led to um, multiple departments being created, and the main one is the United Front Works Department. And that is the main driving force for uh, a lot of the actions being taken against the Uyghur Muslims. So this brings us to uh, the main reason the Uyghurs are being persecuted today, uh, which is Uh, China classifying all the Uyghur Muslims as dangerous and needing to be re-educated from these extremist ideas. So even the innocent people are being dragged into this uh, stereotypical classification. So as a result, they get thrown into these concentration camps, which the CCP claims to Give them vocational skills and educational training. Uh, but instead, they are uh, tortured in those camps and forced to renounce their religion and forced to sing CCP songs and learn about CCP propaganda. And they're uh, detained for very long periods of time. And it was only recently, in July 2019, that 22 countries issued a letter to the UN to start taking action. So China did a very good job for a while in not letting the formation leak out about all.
0: And do you know if was the United States a part of this initial 22-country letter to the UN? I believe I know
2: Britain. France, and
0: Germany, but not
2: the U.S.
1: Okay, well, um, thank you, John, for sharing all this incredible information about the Uyghur situation in China, kind of giving us the historical context of the Uyghur people, explaining how their daily lives look like in, um, in China, and then also explaining like the, the kind of the tensions leading up to the genocide itself. Um, in the following episode, we will be diving more into the issue, looking at just the Uyghur Muslim identity and then also the CCP's stance on religion. So um, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Bye. The song used in our intro and outro is called Levels by Ketza from the Free Music Archive. Ketza is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 Creative Commons international license.